to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 32, as we follow along with today's lesson. Now as we get into verse 32, we sort of switch gears and Jesus has, has given them the signs. These are the signs. And he takes you right up to his coming in clouds and great glory to establish God's kingdom upon the earth. But now a, a digression. We're going to talk about something else for a moment. Learn the parable of the fig tree. Now, In a figurative sense, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was likened to a fig tree. Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time. But they went to Baal, Peor, and separated themselves. In Jeremiah, the basket of rotten figs, the nation of Israel that had become rotten and and unpalatable by God. In Joel 1.7, God uh, laments, He hath laid my vine waste and he has barked my fig tree. He has made it clean, bare, and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. And so... The nation of Israel has been likened unto the vine, the vineyard, and also likened unto the fig tree. Now learn a parable, Jesus said, of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, and it putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. Look at a fig tree. When it starts to put forth its leaves, you know that Summer is coming. It's just a sign that summer is near. So likewise ye, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. The budding of the fig tree, the leaves. Now the fig tree being the nation of Israel, and you remember when Jesus cursed the fig tree, Typical of the nation of Israel failing to bring forth fruit, cursed, withers, dies, and God chooses from among the Gentiles his church to bring forth the fruit that the Lord desires. But the fig tree is beginning to bud in 1948. Israel was, against all odds, born again. That which was dead the valley of dry bones, that God said to Ezekiel, can these bones be made to live? And Ezekiel said, oh God, you know. And 
and he saw the bones come to life. He saw the flesh come on them, the body, the sinews and all, and, and he saw the rebirth of the nation. 1948, we saw it. 2,500 years after the vision of Ezekiel, we saw the fulfillment of that vision in the rebirth of the nation of Israel. In 1967, we saw Jerusalem again come under the control of the Jewish nation. When Israel first became a nation in 1948, Jerusalem was a divided city. The Jordanians occupied half of the city. The Israel, uh, the other part of the city. But in the war of 1967, the entire city came under Jewish control, no longer trodden under the foot of the Gentiles for the first time, actually, since Nebuchadnezzar's captivity of the city. And Jesus said, Jerusalem will be trodden under the foot of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. The, the fig tree, obviously, budding forth. What does it tell you? Summer is nigh. It's close. It's even, Jesus said, at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. The word generation, the Greek word genia, usually refers to a national kind of a ethnic group. And so what Jesus is prophesying is that the Jews would not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, the Jewish nation, the fact that it remains and they remain as an ethnic uh, group of people is a miracle unparalleled in the history of man. No ethnic group has been able to maintain its national identity without a national homeland for more than five generations. In all of history, never happened. That without a homeland, people were able to maintain a ethnic identity. How many Hittites have you met lately? <laughs> or Amorites? Or Jebusites? I doubt if you've met any lately. They were just sort of swallowed up into the nations where they were dispersed when they were taken captive. But the Jews have maintained their national identity all over the world, wherever they have been scattered. They maintained their national identity, those that were scattered to India, to China, those that were scattered to South America, those that were scattered through Europe, those that are in the United States, they've maintained for 2,500 years a national identity without a homeland. A miracle of God, unparalleled in history. And thus the prophecy of Jesus has been fulfilled. The generation, the genea, did not pass until all these things be fulfilled. And we're in the process of seeing them fulfilled now. The fig tree is budding, summer is nigh, even at the doors. There are others who interpret generation as uh, a, a 
period of some 40 to 57 years, uh, according to uh, various calculations. And uh, they started counting the generation in 1948. Others have started counting in 1967 when Jerusalem uh, was no longer under Gentile control. And they say that the generation living to see the budding of the fig tree would be the generation that would not pass. Possible, but stretches a bit. Heaven and earth, he said, shall pass away. But my word shall not pass away. I mean, this is sure, Jesus said. Heaven and earth, and he's been talking about heaven and earth, there's going to be a great shaking, the stars falling, they're going to pass away. But my words, they're going to abide, Jesus said. They're not going to pass away. The word of God remaineth sure. But of the day and now, please note, (laughs) of the day and the hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Would you underline that in your Bible? (laughs) It's sad, but there are always these books coming out trying to give us the year or the day or the hour. They say, well, it's day and hour, but we know the year. And Wisenut, just the name ought to give you a hint wrote the book 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. And now there are books that you can buy now and they're trying to get people all excited that he's coming in 1994. And every year they revise their books and just move it up to the next year and keep selling their books, you know. But no man knows the day or the hour. Now, let me just say this. Whenever a book spends the first chapter explaining why God didn't mean what he said. You don't need to go any further. Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour. No man knows. Just, just, we don't know. He could come at any time. Some are saying he's going to come during the Feast of Pentecost. This year, great things are going to happen. A lot of excitement being stirred. Evil is going to be driven from the world in Pentecost in June this year. Oh, would to God it were true. I, but no man knows the day or the hour. Jesus said that. But as it was in the days of Noah, or as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. You see, no man knows the day or the hour. It's going to be a surprise. Like in the days of Noah, the people were surprised. Though Noah had been a preacher of righteousness, building the illustrated message, building the ark before them out there in the Babylonian plains and and they were saying you're crazy and it wasn't until the flood actually began that they then realized too late that Noah was correct now in the days of Noah as the days of Noah were 
Basically, the illustration that Jesus is giving here is the suddenness and the surprise of his coming. No man knows the day or the hour. The world is not expecting it. The world will not expect it. It is not until the church is removed and the judgment of God begins that the world will realize that God's word is true. But as the days of Noah were, the days of Noah, in Genesis 6, 1, we read, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. The days of Noah were days of rapid population growth. There was a population explosion in the days of Noah. Genesis 6, 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So it was a time when men's minds were polluted with evil thoughts. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth. Behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So, time of corruption, time of violence, time of wickedness, a time of population explosion. We see those things today. Population explosion. The minds of men polluted and corrupted by sin and by evil. Wickedness exceedingly great. Violence filling the earth. And people are unaware that the coming of the Lord is at hand. They knew not until the flood came and took them away, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And then Jesus said there will be two in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. So, I believe that this is a reference to the rapture of the church, that we don't know what hour the Lord is coming. The rapture could take place at any time, and there will be a sharp division. Two in the field, one raptured, the other left for the great tribulation. Two grinding at the mill, one taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, and this is really the key word of Jesus in this latter portion of the chapter. It's you don't know when it's going to happen, so be ready. You don't know when it's going to happen, so watch. Be on watch. Don't be lethargic. Don't sleep. In Luke's account of this same message of Jesus, he warns against uh, getting caught unaware. Be careful that you are not ensnared by the enemy's traps, the cares of this world, 
the deceitfulness of riches and the desire of other things so that that day catches you unaware. So here the Lord says, watch ye therefore. Why? Because you don't know the hour that your Lord doth come. But know this. If the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have allowed his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now, do you think the Lord is coming tonight? I think he's coming soon, but not tonight, to be honest. I mean, if I really thought he was coming tonight, I don't know what I would do at this point. <laughs> I believe he's coming soon, but, you know, the very fact that I don't believe he's coming tonight is, makes it a very real possibility. <laughs> For in the hour that you think not, <laughs> the Son of Man is coming. Therefore, be ready. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Who is that wise and faithful servant? God has put over his household, over the church, to give them their meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find him so doing. Jesus said, occupy till I come. Blessed is the servant that, find, that the Lord, when he comes, finds him doing the work of the Lord, giving meat to the household of God in due season. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. Now you see, I believe that the Lord intended that the church should be expecting his coming any time, even from the apostolic period. Now the apostles were expecting the Lord to return at any time, and I think God designed it that way. Because you see, that expectancy of the Lord coming at any time has a tremendous way of keeping us in focus. It's so easy to get caught up in worldly things, in material things. And so God wanted us to just live in the state of expectancy letting our contact with the world be just as light as possible because the Lord is coming soon. He could come tonight. And I believe that that is exactly what the Lord intended. John, in writing of the coming of the Lord, said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doesn't yet appear what we're going to be, but we know when he appears, we're going to be like him for we shall see him as he is. And he who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. It's a purifying hope in the church to believe that Jesus is coming at any moment, at any time. Now, 
if the servant says, well, the Lord is delaying his coming, and the moment you put any event before the rapture of the church, in essence, you are saying the Lord is delaying his coming. Oh, the Lord isn't going to come until the mid-tribulation period. Uh, and there's a lot of mid-trib kind of books being written right now, and, and a lot of people are gobbling up on this mid-trib theory that he's going to come before the wrath. You know, we'll have to go through the revelation of the Antichrist and so forth. But wait a minute. If we have to go through the revelation of the Antichrist, then what is that doing to us? Taking away from the imminent return of the Lord, and it's putting it now down. He's going to delay his coming until the Antichrist is revealed. So what an interesting trick of the enemy because now I'm looking for the Antichrist. Who is he, you know? What a sly thing. Rather than looking for Jesus Christ, I'm looking for the Antichrist. Well, not me. <laughs> I'm looking for my Lord. <laughs> I'm looking for his coming. Coming for me. Anytime. To take me out. And the sooner the better as far as I'm concerned. Now, that evil servant who said the Lord delays his coming, what is the effect of that? A slovenness in the things of the Spirit. Oh, well, we've got time, you know, we've got to have to wait for the Antichrist to be revealed and, you know, these events are going to be taking place and so forth. And uh, maybe we'll be martyred because we refuse to let them insert that little thing in our hand and and, uh, you know, uh, but the effect of the idea, well, the Lord is going to delay his coming until Jesus said had a tendency towards the slovenness of the servant. And he began to smite his fellow servants. He began to eat and to drink with the drunken. And the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it's really a dangerous concept to say that the Lord is delaying his coming, it's important to realize that in such a time as you think not, he's coming. He's coming any time. And therefore, you watch and you be ready. How many more things must God do before we wake up to realize, hey, we're at the end of the road. This health care system that they're going to force on us these cards that they will use for identity cards and for buying and selling debit cards, travel cards. How much closer do we have to get until we wake up and realize our Lord is coming soon at any time. Therefore, be ye ready, he said. 
Watch and be ready. As we get into chapter 25, we will get more parables, which thrust is to watch and be ready, and then Jesus will tell us of the things that will transpire when he returns, those immediate things that will take place when he comes back to the earth. So you'll find chapter 25 also equally as exciting as chapter 24 as we continue to deal with the return of Jesus Christ to establish God's kingdom upon the earth and the events that will precede this coming of our Lord and the thrust, the important thrust to us. Watch and be ready. Shall we turn in our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, as we look at the events at the return of Jesus Christ. This whole discourse was triggered by the question of the disciples concerning the signs of the coming of the Lord and uh, the signs of the destruction of the temple and the signs of the end of the world, the end of the age. And having given to them the prophetic signs that would precede his coming, he then, in a series of parables, begins to explain the conditions that would exist at his coming again. And basically, his coming was to be an any-moment event Though you're asking for signs, just know that it's going to catch a lot of people by surprise. So the main thing is to be watching and to be ready. And a series of parables were given with the thrust of watching and being ready. Now, I believe that most of the parables have one major emphasis. And I think that many times we make a mistake in trying to read into a parable the symbology of all of the aspects of the parable. And I think many times we lose the real thrust of the parable and that is to illustrate a particular point. For instance, the parable of the prodigal son makes a fantastic story to illustrate how that when a son has gone astray, the father's primary concern is the restoration of that son. And how that when this young prodigal had wasted everything, when he finally came to his senses, decided to go home, how that the father, seeing him afar, coming home, ran to meet him, placed the family ring, ordered the party and all. And we think, oh, what a beautiful picture of, of God receiving the prodigal back. And surely it is, but that is not what the parable is about. 
The parable was designed against the Pharisees because of their attitude concerning the many people who were lost in their sins but now were receiving salvation. And Jesus gave actually a series of parables to the intent that the natural response and the natural reaction to finding something that is lost is rejoicing. And that they were not having really a natural response in that which was lost being found. And so he spoke about the lost coin of the widow and how that when she found it, she rejoiced and said, oh, you know, rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. How the lost sheep, when it is found, there's great rejoicing because uh, the lost has been found. And now the lost son having been found. But now he puts the real thrust of the whole series of parables as he talks about this older brother who did not come to the party but was outside sulking. And his dad went out and said, what's wrong, son? Come in and join the party. And he said, I didn't run away. I didn't waste my inheritance on riotous living. You've never thrown a party for me. Now this reprobate brother of mine comes home and you throw a party and all. And, and his attitude was really what Jesus was getting at in the whole parables, the Pharisaic attitude. Now, especially when we get to the parable of the ten virgins here, as it is one and the last in the series of parables whose emphasis is to watch and be ready. By taking and seeking to spiritualize certain aspects of the parable, you can make it read almost anything. You can get all kinds of fanciful truths out of the parable by uh, symbolizing and by spiritualizing. Now, I am reluctant to spiritualize the scriptures because many times in that very spiritualizing of them, you lose the basic meaning of the scripture when you seek to spiritualize it. For the most part, God said what he meant and he meant what he said. And I do not really subscribe to all kinds of little hidden meanings uh, that uh, can be discovered by the spiritualizing of the text. You see, you can take almost any story and spiritualize it and read into it a, a whole um, new idea and thought. Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to get her poor dog a bone. Can you see this old woman now? Heading for the cupboard. There's the hungry dog at her feet, you know. 
And the old woman represents the Christian whose life has become barren and they're not even aware of it. You see, she thinks that there's something in the cupboard. And, and you see, you can go on and, and just, you know, uh, spiritualize the thing and, and read all kinds of things into it. <laughs> you never thought about that poor old lady before, did you? So as we get into chapter 25 and we get the final of the series of parables on the thrust of watching and being ready, Jesus gives this fascinating parable. Then, when? When Jesus comes again. When he comes again. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise. Five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went away to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him. Now there's the thrust of the parable. They that were ready went in with him. To the marriage and the door was shut. Now afterward came also the other virgin saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. And now the punch. Watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. He does not Give to us that day or hour that he's coming for us. Thus, the thrust over and over is to just watch and be ready because we don't know. They that were ready went in. The others were left without. Therefore, watch. Now, in these ten virgins, we see several similarities. They were all virgins. They all had lamps. They had all gone out to meet the bridegroom. And they all slumbered and slept. They were all awakened by the same call. And they all began to trim their lamps. Now we see the difference. 
Five of them were wise and five were foolish. The foolish had their lamps but no extra oil with them. And the five took their lamps as well as the oil, the wise ones. Now note, while the bridegroom tarried. Here again, I think that Jesus is giving an indication of the fact that his coming was not going to be as immediate as they were expecting it to be. I think that he was more or less sort of prepping them for the fact that he was going to delay or tarry his immediate return while the bridegroom tarried. There came really a loss of the excitement, the awareness of the return of Jesus Christ and the establishing of the kingdom. They all slumbered and slept until the cry went forth, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Now, the fact that the five said, Give us oil, for our lamps have gone out, would indicate that at one time their lamps were burning. They have gone out. The chief emphasis, though, is they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. Now, oil throughout the scripture, especially the anointing oil, was representative of the oil or the Holy Spirit, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, the anointing oil. Now, there's much about this parable that we do not know, and it is of no value to really speculate. And that is, where did they go to buy the oil? And when they came back, did they now have the oil and were their lamps now burning? We, you see, there's just a lot of unanswered things and, and you can't really go in and, and work out each little detail. The main purpose of the parable is just to say to you, look, you don't know when he's coming. Be ready. Watch. Be watchful. Now, in another place, Jesus said, there in the Sermon on the Mount, actually, not all who say unto me, Lord, Lord, are going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father. Many will come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, and they will tell him the works that they had done in his name. Have we not done many marvelous works in thy name? Casting out of devils, the healing of the sick. And he will say to them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So you have sort of a similar thing. In that day, that is the day when the Lord comes again to judge, there will be many who will be as the foolish virgins who will be outside seeking entrance. 
as they are saying, Lord, Lord. But he denies ever knowing them. It is interesting with the five foolish virgins who are also outside seeking entrance, he doesn't deny ever knowing them. He just declares, I know you not. I believe that the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is that which keeps us watching and keeps us ready. Therefore, I think that the parable is just saying to us, we need to be walking in the Spirit. We need to be living in the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit that He is really that supply for us. You remember the oil and the uh, book of Zechariah, the temple, the Rube Goldberg thing where he saw this vision of the two olive trees, pipes coming out of it right into the cups of the, uh, of the lamp standard there. And the Lord said, do you see that? And yeah, I said, what is it? Well, I don't know. It's, it, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So I do believe that in this parable there is that emphasis of the necessity of being alert, being uh, ready, being watchful, and also walking in the Spirit, having the life of the Spirit. Now, as we go into the second section of chapter 25, again we are dealing with the Lord comes again. And the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Now it is very obvious what Jesus is talking about. He's going away into heaven, traveling to a far country, and to his servants, to the church, he delivers unto them his goods. He imparts unto us his resources. To one five, to another two, to another one. According to their several ability. And then he took his journey. While he is gone, the one that received the five talents went and traded the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received the two also gained another two. But he had received the one, went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Now notice the talent is money. Uh, in those days, talent was a weight. And so it was a talent of gold or a talent of silver. And, and you read in the scripture of a talent of gold or a talent of silver. It's a certain weight, like we would say a pound of gold or a pound of silver. 
or an ounce of gold. It, it's a weight. And thus, <coughs> it was the money that was entrusted to them. He digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Notice again, after a long time. I believe that this ties together uh, concerning the bridegroom tearing. But as the bridegroom tarried, they slumbered and slept. Now after a long time. I think that Jesus is trying to get across to the disciples the fact that they needed to occupy until he comes. You can't just sit and wait for the Lord to return. He doesn't expect us to just say, well, the Lord is coming in the next year. You might as well quit college. You might as well, you know, just sell everything and let's just uh, live it up because the Lord will be here soon, you know, and we don't have to worry about the future. I don't think that that is any attitude that God ever intended us to have. I think that he intended us to live with the realization that he could come at any time, but that was not really a uh, reason for slothfulness, but really a reason for diligence because he's coming at any time. However, it may not be within the time frame that we're expecting. <clears throat> and with the disciples, here he's talking about a long time. <clears throat> the Lord of those servants comes and he reckons with them. Now, at the coming of the Lord, it will be a time of reckoning with his servants. The Lord will hold us accountable to use those things that he has entrusted into our care and we will have to answer to him for what we have done with what he has given to us. The believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as he is talking about the resurrection and the resurrection body he said therefore we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in these bodies we are absent from the Lord for we walk by faith and not by sight we are confident I say and willing rather to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor. Now, you see, I, my desire is to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, what do I do? I labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. I am Laboring, I am using that which God has entrusted to me because my desire is to be accepted by him. For we must all, he said, appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're going to have to face the Lord 
give an answer, give an account. Knowing, he said, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So Paul's warning and his own response to the fact that he knows he's going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, he labors. He uses that which God has given to him in order that he might be accepted by the Lord. Romans 14, beginning with verse 9. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set at naught your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now Paul has been warning the Romans here that we're not to judge each other. Leave that to the Lord. You're not my servant, therefore it isn't mine to judge your service. You're the Lord's servant. He's going to judge you. And Paul says that God is able to make us to stand. We're, we're really not to judge, but we will all be judged by our master. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. The day of reckoning. You will be required to give an account unto the Lord. Might as well prepare for that and recognize that God isn't just going to accept us all as one big mob or group into heaven, but individually. Salvation is an individual thing. Your relationship with the Lord is an individual thing. Your service to the Lord is an, is an individual thing, and you will have to give an account unto him for that service. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, Now if any man... Build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work will be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work what sort it is. Our works are going to be tried by fire. And if any man's work abides, that is the trial by fire, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Much of the work that is done is done with improper motives. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Matthew in our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on occupying until the Lord returns. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Matthew 24 through 25 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. 
Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you for your Word. Oh, Lord, it's so rich. And we thank you, Lord, that these truths are not just isolated in one part of the scripture but it's part of the total composite the picture that you've put together both Old and New Testament these things that are coming to pass upon the earth spoken of Lord by the prophets of old spoken by you and by your disciples Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit will stir our hearts. Stir us from lethargy, from the slumber and the sleeping. And Father, may we watch and may we be ready, knowing, Lord, that you're coming at any time, just when we don't know, but we know it's soon. So, Lord, help us that we might be as the faithful steward, the faithful servant. When you come, may you find us, Lord, faithfully serving you. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Shall we stand? And as Luke said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your head. For your redemption draweth nigh. May the Lord be with you. And may the Lord stir your hearts and cause us to live in that continual, constant expectation that any moment I'm out of here, my Lord is coming. It can happen any time. May we be watching and may we be ready. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. It is my great pleasure to present Pastor Chuck's commentary on the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is an open-ended book. Jesus continues even to the present day to work in the lives of people throughout the world through those who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. This book also includes a special foreword written by Pastor John Corson. We studied the book of Acts, but we never saw the book of Acts. We were seeing the moving of the Holy Spirit. Calvary Chapel family, may you always be known as a people who pray in Jesus' name, that it would be Jesus Christ, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. May the Jesus movement continue on.
To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Acts Commentary, please call the word for today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online to read a sneak preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.